So welcome back everyone. This is episode five of the Serious Bounce Back. My name's Anita Devi and I'm joined here today with Dr. Kathy Weston. Our focus today is remaining empathetic whilst looking after our own mental health. Before we dive in, let me just encourage you to go back and listen to our previous episodes where we've talked about a range of topics to support children and young people process difficult situations. We've addressed the the concept of feeling sad and happy at the same time. We've looked at managing loss and grief, as well as how do we feel in control when there are so many unknowns. So today, as I've said, the focus is on remaining empathetic whilst looking after our own mental health. Welcome, Kathy. What are your opening thoughts on this topic? Yeah, so I think it's very, very easy even for adults to be completely shaken up by what they're reading in the news media at the minute. You know, you can be overwhelmed by terribly sad stories. And there is a very fine balance to be had between being empathetic and and not letting it affect you and your own mental health. So as counterintuitive as it might be, it's important that all of us put on our own masks first, if you like. If you're not feeling in a good place, if you're feeling very anxious or your children are, for example, it's not a good idea to watch the news. So there is a sense that we need to look after our own selves first. And that metaphor of, you know, the masks coming down and putting them on first is very, very relevant, particularly in parenting, because we know parental mental health is highly correlated to children's. So there is a sense of it's important, very important to teach children to be kind and thoughtful to other people, but not to the detriment of one's own health. And that's the key message, I think, in this little podcast. I couldn't agree more with you, Kathy. I remember I was teaching in the classroom when 9-11 happened. And, you know, this was a time when Sky News was just getting into that repetition of repeating those images and the, the ticker tape at the bottom. And I kept thinking, I think I was teaching year four at the time, so year eight-year-olds. And I kept thinking, you know, watching this news over and over again is surely not good for their own well-being and their own mental health. And I think it was a couple of years ago, I was reading that there's been some research. They'd followed up children 10 years and 15 years after the event just to see what kind of effect had happened by them watching that news. And inevitably, those who had been so tuned in during that period to watching those images over and over again suffered quite significantly compared to those who had made a choice not to keep watching the news. So we can learn from research from the past that actually it is unhealthy to keep watching these things, particularly big events like this, like 9-11, like the pandemic. The actual you know, significant change on a day-to-day basis is quite minimal. There are key events that will happen, you know, announcements by the government, looking at testing, looking at the vaccine and all of those things. But those are significant milestones. If we keep watching on a day-to-day basis, hoping for something small and insignificant to happen, it can be a detriment to ourselves. And the other thing is that news media is coming thick and fast through children's phones, notifications, headlines. And another, you know, we all know that journalism has variable quality within it. So I think that there are other issues that teaching our children to be very, very discerning what they read and watch in terms of their digital diet, because it will have an effect on how they feel. And we've heard terribly tragic stories over this 
lockdown period of young people who feel very, very overwhelmed by what they're reading and feel desperately despairing and out of control. And it's been very, very frightening for them. So I think that the digital diet that our children have is something to be very mindful of because some children will be much more sensitive than other children and go to bed at night really, really worrying about all those people in intensive care and all the rest of it. So I think that we have an opportunity to teach our children that it's important to care, but we must indulge in self-care first. Absolutely. And in terms of internet safety, there are a number of ways and devices that parents can put in filters, can put in some parental controls around what children listen to, what they hear, what they see, so that actually we can protect them. Because I think that's part of our role too, to to protect them from being overexposed to negative imagery, to negative messages. And that's absolutely not the same thing as kind of keeping them away from what's going on in general society or shielding them. It's about age appropriateness. And that's very, very important. So, for example, my children don't watch the news. I don't encourage it. I I don't even let I don't even have the radio on in the morning because I'm terrified of what it's going to say and how it might harm my 10 year olds thinking. And instead, I make sure they digest the news via a sort of a magazine called The Week, which is a magazine Mm -hmm. for children where the news is in a digestible format. And it's clean, if you like. There's nothing in it that could frighten them. It's balanced and it's very, very well thought out by journalists who are designed to create and curate content for children. So children's digital diet can have a huge impact on their mental health and on their anxiety levels. And I think that it's important to, as I said before, to do community things, clap for the NHS, all those lovely things, make posters, big cookies for the neighbor, but they really don't need to know the daily death toll that even adults are finding very, very difficult to comprehend and digest. Absolutely. And I love this kind of, this image that you've kind of conjured up by what you're saying is that this is not about shielding them and keeping them away, but it's about protecting them and giving them that age appropriate information that they are ready to receive and process. Because at the end of the day, they've got to make sense of what they are hearing and seeing in terms of their past, their present and their future. That's right. I mean, I grew up in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and I'm sure you can tell from my accent. And it was a very scary environment to grow up in with some extremely graphic, violent scenes and things happening on a daily basis. And every time you turned the news on, there was news of a murder. And I think that I know that that can be very, very scary for children. And it's not appropriate for children to have the vote. And even now, the news is so graphic. The repetition of key phrases, you know, it's very heavy on sensationalism as well. And that's not healthy for children. No, I agree with you. And one of the tools that we use in schools to look after, you know, our well-being and our mental health, but also to understand where each of us is at, is a one-page profile. And the one-page profile asks three questions and you can do them anywhere I mean I've seen them used in work I've seen the NHS use them for job applications so they they have quite a diverse use but it asks three questions and the first question is what's important to me so getting a sense of at this point in time what really matters to me 
family, friends, my pets, you know, having some space, all of those things that are important to me and just having that sense of this is what I need for my well-being. The second question is around what do others think of me? And so often we encourage the children to go and ask people in their network, their family, their friends, ask five or six people to give them three positive qualities about themselves. And that is about helping them feel resilient when they're down, but sometimes using what others think when they're feeling down to boost them up. Because if you're in that down place and someone comes along and says, oh, tell me something positive about yourself. Actually, we're not in that place to think about that. But if we can see what others have said, actually, it does lift us because we're getting that support from outside. It also makes us look at ourselves in a very different way. I didn't know they thought that about me or I didn't know that that's how someone saw me. And then the final question is how best to support me. And so giving the individual that sense of agency to decide, these are the things I need in place to give me support. I have to be honest with you, on a general rule, I tend to limit what my access and our access as a family is to the news, even if there wasn't a lockdown or COVID, purely because actually I want to fill our lives with things that are good and that nourish us and that feed us rather than always thinking about the things that are going wrong in the world. So, you know, these one page profiles, they can be done as a family. I really love them. I think they they're so powerful once you have them because you can actually then decorate them, put your own things on them, your photos, and they become a sense of us really getting to know each other and what drives us from the inside out. And I, I love that template. And I also it's reminding me of the critical importance of feedback for children during this lockdown, you know, making mm. parents and understand that that little self-identity in children is slowly evolving in relation to the feedback that they receive. And we may be the only people they see for the next you know, while, or we've been the only people there for the last 60 days. So what feedback are we giving our children on who they are? And I think helping our children see themselves as resilient, as strong, as adaptable, as learning mm. skills and that you're proud of them. That's part of this narrative of coping that needs to outweigh the, the bad news and the things that we may feel hopeless about. So we're in a kind of a battle, aren't we? A battle of minds, mindsets, habits, and choosing, and choosing to see the world as still beautiful. I, I love that, you know, the desiderata, is that how you pronounce it? That beautiful poem or prayer where they say that it's still a beautiful world you know <laughs> mm. all things might happen but it's still a beautiful world and unfortunately the news media narrows our vision and can sometimes help children think everything is bad everything is scary and that's where we provide the balance and the rationality in family life absolutely and I think I was asked previously about what should we be focusing for the children this was in another conversation and I was saying first and foremost is safety then we need to look at you know who they are and where they're feeling but actually a sense of purpose as well in the morning and giving them that sense of purpose which comes through routine but is, is so closely linked to the concept of identity and that sense of you know if you know what's important to you you'll feel like getting up in the morning because you'll feel like wanting to interact with your family you'll feel like wanting to walk the dog you'll feel like wanting to listen to your music all of those things shape us and form us 
but also give us something to look forward to. Well, looking forward to things is critical for children's mental health at the moment and for our mental health. And again, it goes back to that quality of hope that we want to inject family life and conversations with. So it is a very good idea for all of us to plan things. We don't know when we'll be able to do them, but at some point we will. And to list all the things we're looking forward to. And that is a family exercise. It is very, very important because it just makes you feel completely different about the next couple of months. And I think that that, in a way, I'm a big fan of families feeling fearless. And I know that that can be a bit overwhelming to just assume fearlessness, but we have to. Some of these things, you know, we live with these risks. This virus may or may not be here for the long term. We need to get on with living and we need to get on with adapting in a way that is fearless. Yes, and fear can be At a biological level, fear can be good in terms of it can stop us doing things. But excessive fear can drain us and it can make us quite static and still and not help us to move forward because we are frozen. We are frozen in that moment. So often we talk about with the children around what can we replace the fear with? So love, faith, all these values that we want our children to experience in life to feel a part of a community is one way of actually saying, okay, this is the fear I feel. I'm going to give away the fear and instead receive the love of people around me, receive the security I feel in my own home. I'm going to receive the gratitude that people have about me. I'm going to receive the goodness that people see in me. And you can actually also make it a bit of an exchange. So it's not denying that that fear exists, but actually saying, do I want this fear to hold fear in my hand or do I want to give that away and receive something else to replace it and that's a a beautiful mechanism for families to adopt I think it's very very helpful and the other thing that I'd like to say is that there is you know it is back to that old maxim that the only thing to fear is fear itself that it's not that we don't live with normal levels of anxiety and worry everybody does and that's back to what we were saying in an earlier podcast that that's part and parcel of the rainbow of life and emotion so we're not worried about living with normal levels of anxiety but we do not want our children or families or us as individuals to gravitate towards anxiety that is so excessive that it paralyzes us and and disinhibits us from doing the things that we love and the things that we enjoy participating in. So it's very important that we live with a low level, an acceptable level of anxiety. That is normal, but excessive anxiety is like a weed that can just take over everything. And that's what we want to avoid. And when you are in that place where you are experiencing excessive anxiety, I think we've mentioned this in previous podcasts as well. It's important to seek help. It's important to find that support mechanism. And this can be from a number of sources that exist out there to support your own mental health. So I want to encourage families not to feel that they are isolated out there. But if if there are things that you feel that you need to talk to someone, please do go and ask for help. This has been Kathy Weston and myself talking to you, podcast five of the Bounce Back series, looking at remaining empathetic whilst looking after your own mental health. Thank you very much. Thank you.